Whether we're talking about commercial spaces, public transportation, or even our own homes, indoor environmental quality has never been a hotter topic. I've really geeked out about environmental quality and sensors and, and that kind of thing, much to the chagrin of my family. It's, Dad, what, really? Do I need another sensor? I'm like, yes, yes you do. Because we don't know what the air is like in your room. The attention of the world has been drawn to the spaces we spend our lives in. And now businesses, schools, homeowners, and many more want to know how they can make their spaces healthier, happier, and more productive. You have to know where you're starting from. So I think an indoor air quality assessment of some sort is, is critical to success. You just don't want to start throwing different technologies or projects in your space without really understanding what challenges you have. That's Jeff Wiseman, indoor air quality portfolio leader for Train, our commercial HVAC business, and Scott Winger, director of innovation at Train Technologies. Jeff's work focuses on providing a portfolio of indoor air quality products as well as developing strategies on when and where to implement them. And Scott's area of expertise is in solving problems related to IEQ in tandem with issues of energy consumption. And today, we're kicking off season two by taking a look at some of our favorite takeaways from season one, along with our own thoughts on the importance of transparency around IEQ, the changing demands of people working and living in indoor environments, our advice for listeners on improving IEQ, and much more. I'm Rasha Hassanin, and you're listening to Healthy Spaces with Train Technologies, a series of conversations that explores the world of indoor environmental quality from the inside out. In our last season, we heard from a range of experts, including an atmospheric scientist, nuclear physicist, a professor of architectural engineering, leaders in sustainability and sustainable developments, and even a congressman. As we explored the ins and outs of IEQ, we saw just how huge this field is and how many crossovers it has with engineering, physics, government policy, and even the environment. So I wanted to find out from my colleagues what insights stood out for them in season one. So Scott, I know you're a regular listener of our podcast in season one. Were there any ahas or insights that stood out to you in the first season? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think it was a really interesting season of podcasts. We've been working on on this stuff you know, for quite some time, but still, there's always a, a lot to learn. In my head, the, the two moments that pop out from season one, the first was when Russ Carnahan was talking about the lack of industry representation. In the HVACR business, we don't always necessarily think of that, but he's right on. I mean, the importance of the conversation with respect to regulatory and and other types of guidelines around this massive use of energy in buildings. And then my favorite episode was when Lydia Morasco was talking. She has so much information on this topic. And when she was talking about the lack of transparency and ventilation outcomes, like, hey, CO2, even in places where you think they're properly ventilated, can be really high. And you don't know until you know. And what we know about how that impacts cognitive ability I saw that in my, my own house. I mean, I don't have a, a real ventilation system other than windows. <laughs> and when all five of us and the dog and the rabbits and everything was, was here for months on end, our CO2 was high and I felt it. That, I think those were two moments that really stood out to me. How about you? 
Absolutely. And Lydia was was definitely an, an interesting interview, especially how many times she's lived through what we're living through for the first time. So for her, it was sort of deja vu all over again. And her words of caution around if we don't do something different this time, but we could find ourselves here again and we're you know we're already seeing some of that with this latest wave and so just the depth and breadth of, of her experience one of the things I really loved was when um, when memo talked about um, and was really able to bring some of these very abstract concepts down to really simple daily interactions and some of the research he's done with real humans. And then some of the really amazing work that Bill Sisson has been doing with the business community, some of the work that Jim Freyhut's been doing, and just his perspective on thinking about the things that we put up with that we don't have to put up with every day, whether it's allergies or the flu or or the common cold, if we just were to take the time to think about the air we breathe every day. So I learned a lot during that season. I was really happy to have our guests and I hope our listeners learned as much as I did. Yeah. So tell us more about it, Rasha. What do we have planned for season two? I am really excited about our next season. I'm hoping to spend some time with some experts from our own company, focusing in on some of the exciting things that we're doing. But I'm also hoping to bring in some experts from across the industry and some people that that maybe we we don't expect to have some really interesting point of view. So I'm really excited to be talking about the pandemic. We're not done yet, but really focusing in on indoor environmental quality and the spaces around us. We are going to continue to think about different kinds of spaces. We want to focus in on things that are salient to our listeners, whether that's education or whether it's transit systems. And we do want to hear from people who are practicing out there every day and thinking about how these um, spaces are impacting both the environment that we live in, but also uh, the occupants that are in those spaces. So Jeff, you interact with building owners a lot in your role. How are they adjusting to this new normal? It's an adjustment for sure. So we know early on in the pandemic, obviously, there was a lot of focus on safety and reducing risks in the space. And so that was the highest priority for building owners is uh, what can they do to protect their occupants? And, you know, as you guys have seen, I think was covered some on season one, uh, some of the initial recommendations for keeping your air clean, it really drove energy costs up, you know, and we've heard 30, 40% increase in energy bills, some as high as, you know, doubling their energy bills. And so I think the, the new normal and the adjustments that we're seeing is, you know, how do you balance reducing the risk of your space with energy efficiency? And that's what's going to be really the longer term play is is balancing safety, energy efficiency, productivity. What can I do to, to create the best environment for my occupants while balancing all the different factors? Yeah, well, and a lot of the buildings haven't been occupied. And can you just imagine what that means as they become more occupied, what that means to the overall built environment? You know, there's still been relatively low occupancy as people start to get more comfortable. That energy drain could be huge. Absolutely. And, and we're seeing, you know, schools start back up again. And so, you know, we're seeing 
you know, certain buildings and certain markets, obviously the occupancy rate is, is going, you know, back to where it was uh, prior to the pandemic. And energy is going to be a big uh, concern and area of focus, I think, for our different customers. Have there been some additional learnings in the building industry? And what are what do you think some of those big learnings have been in, in the last year? We've seen some HVAC equipment not really where we thought it was as a baseline, right? And so uh, with the pandemic, a lot of the you know first step is taking an assessment of your space so that you can better understand what mitigation technologies that, that you want to incorporate. And we're seeing cases where, you know, dampers aren't opening when they thought they would open or there's different components that weren't operational that were assumed were operational. And so it really has stressed the importance of maintaining your equipment so it does what it's supposed to do. Uh, and then, you know, what can you do to enhance your equipment? And, you know, some cases, you know, we know ASHRAE and the CDC, they've recommended MERV 13, maybe MERV 14 filters now. Some equipment just can't handle the higher efficiency filters. And so, really learnings, uh, I'd say, around what are my capabilities and where can I go with my equipment and still be able to operate as intended. And then, you know, we've seen emerging technologies. We are finding technologies uh, that can be used to help reduce the risk of, of transmission within a space, can also potentially help reduce the energy demand of some of the more traditional solutions that are out there, like increasing your ventilation or increasing your, your filter efficiency. Do you feel that there are areas in the industry where there's more clarity than others? And do you feel that there's other areas where there's more confusion? Yeah, I I think we all all know and agree some of the the more conservative approaches like outdoor air does help improve uh, the indoor air quality of a space, right? I mean, not only helps get rid of any contaminants in the space like viruses or bacteria, but also the CO2, Scott had mentioned, I think where there's confusion is when we start to look at some of the more leading edge technologies that are coming out, what can they believe and, and what, what is not believable as far as what they can do? And we've seen a variety of claims being made out there. Uh, you know, a role we're trying to take is to help remove some of that confusion with our customers and in turn, their customers are building occupants in the space. But as the IAQ market continues to advance and new technologies are, are coming out, I think we'll always see this a little bit of confusion at the beginning until we can help clear up some of that confusion. Having systems in place such as mechanical ventilation and air quality sensors certainly help occupants to feel and be safer in their indoor environments. But the truth is that their use and installation aren't as commonplace as they are in industries such as automotive, nor are they as sophisticated. And this sentiment was echoed in season one by an expert in building science and indoor air quality, Jim Fryhot. I did a little study before in terms of um, how is digital technology and information technology sensors and controls and electronics used in the building industry compared to other industries. And the building industry does use these technologies, but at a very, very low density compared to other systems, compared to an automobile system, a manufacturing system, an airplane system, cars, it's amazing. You'll have 100, 200 sensors, you'll have maybe a thousand readings per second. All that information is immediately transferred into the operating system and the performance of the car and the safety situation of the car is optimized. We don't even do that in a very slow frame of reference. We don't even take enough measurements in building to really operate. We have 
similar type of measurements and sensors, in the, but very few of them compared to those industries. And the information technology coordination within the building is not that good. For example, um, you can have very sophisticated LED, uh, light emitting diode lighting systems in buildings. And that, that's a good example in terms of improvement in energy efficiency of electricity to light going from the incandescent bulb to the fluorescent bulb to LED bulbs and measuring the light and um, putting sensors in the building and say, well, I don't need, I don't need light in this uh, part of the building because I have daylight. Those sorts of things are done with separate systems in the building, the air conditioning system, the lighting system, the ventilation system. They're only really crudely coordinated in terms of the amount of uh, readings that are taken, how that information is analyzed in real time, and then how the system as a whole and the parts of the system are coordinated to give you the best overall building system performance. It's very difficult to get the subsystems to talk to each other in a coordinated fashion, and much less to, to optimize their performance as a whole. It's a very difficult problem that the building industry really needs to address much more aggressively. Also, in our first season, we talked a lot about the role of transparency. Are you finding more businesses are asking for more ways to create that transparency with their customers? Absolutely. You know, sometimes it's the business asking for it. Sometimes it's their customers that are asking for it. And it's becoming an expectation for that space. And so with indoor air quality, you can't see your air, right? And, and that's been, we all recognize that. And so um, how do you know a space that you're going into is safe and does not increase risk of contaminants or, or infection in the case of the uh, pandemic, you know, customers are asking for, are there solutions that we can use that show my air is good and then also can alert us when maybe the air quality is not as good as we want it to be so we can take action. So Scott, can you tell us about some of the pilots that you're involved in and what you're hearing uh, from customers today? As Jeff mentioned, we're doing a bunch of work in an area we call indoor environmental quality management. It's really just repetitive assessment and mitigation and see how it worked and change what you need to change. So we're doing that in a, in a variety of spaces, commercial office spaces like lobbies and things like that. We've done educational uh, institutions, K through 12 and some higher education. But really what we're hearing from customers is how do I know there's a problem? And then how do I know what to do about it? Because it's very confusing for a lot of people right now and knowing how to improve their environmental quality. And then it's hard to know that what you've done is actually effective. And then finally, maybe the most difficult is how do we help occupants feel safer, feel more comfortable in a space? The pandemic has forced a lot of us to reconsider what makes a space truly healthy. It's no longer enough to have big windows and spacious rooms in order to make your occupants feel safe. People need concrete data to see what they're being exposed to. As a nuclear physicist and atmospheric scientist, Lydia Morawska explained in season one that the difference between the perception of an indoor environment's safety and the reality of it can be drastically different. 
for me, kind of a turning point in realization of the importance was um, uh, when several years ago I was visiting a colleague in uh, Germany, in Braunschweig. Uh, we had a meeting, uh, five of us, in a room which I would have said looking around was very well ventilated, uh, high ceiling, open window, there was some kind of mechanical ventilation. Now, I wouldn't have thought about ventilation whatsoever in this situation, if not the fact that they had something which I, I haven't seen before, namely a, a display on the wall, which was a sensor measuring CO2, and not only this, but um, like traffic lights showing what it means. So the meeting was starting, the concentration was what, uh, whatever level was shown green. Uh, since I've never seen it before, so I kept watching this. And then to my surprise, it kept going up and I would have never thought that with only five of us in this room, with this ventilation, this would be such a problem. So this was to me really a turning point where we need to see what's happening. I must say that since then I'm carrying my own um, CO2 meters and finding uh, that in many places which I would have thought that they are ventilated properly, they are not. So this is something what we really need to make sure that people see and understand. So making an occupant be safe and making an occupant feel safer are slightly different things. Maybe you can talk to us a little bit about what some of the trends you're seeing out there are. I'd say the biggest trend that we're seeing is that in occupied spaces of all kinds, air quality can change very rapidly, usually based on human behavior and activities in the space. And it can go from good to bad or bad to good very quickly. We've also seen that there's a lot of variability in the types of contaminants that may peak at any given time. And that's really important. Environmental quality isn't static. That's, I'll give you a good example. So in one lobby that we looked at, they had fantastic air quality. They had great filtration, lots of air turns, fresh air ventilation, the whole nine yards. It was great, except for when it wasn't. <laughs> and we found that there were um, volatile organic compounds, VOCs, that would just a couple times a day would just spike to levels that are not necessarily the healthiest. And we determined that it was because of the use of alcohol-based hand sanitizer in the room as a response to COVID-19. I'm not saying we shouldn't use hand sanitizer, not at all. Um, it's just interesting that there's a balance between what you're doing for surface disinfection and cleaning and air quality. Everything is related. So I'd say that's probably the biggest trend is how consistent the inconsistency is in occupied spaces. And even just having that transparency at least gives you something that you can now act on or not. That's exactly right. And it helps you know exactly what to do. It kind of gets back to the confusion thing that we were talking about earlier. What do I do about a given problem? Well, you don't know until you know what problem you have um, and how often. I'll give another example. I've got one of my kids is, has some asthma issues. And so we have a HEPA filter in, in his room. That works really well for certain contaminants that trigger a reaction in him. It's not useful, at least that particular one, is not useful for removing CO2 or, or, or gaseous compounds like VOCs. So having the data and having the transparency of knowing what the problem is really helps us identify what mitigations are going to be useful. 
So over the last year, we've talked a lot about air quality as it relates to COVID-19, but that's not the only thing kind of going on in the world. What are some of the other conversations that you're having beyond COVID-19 and the current pandemic? I think the biggest one is what Jeff touched on earlier, and that is energy. I think it's pretty well understood that while there's no silver bullet for environmental quality, the thing that comes closest for improving the air is more fresh air. But it's the energy intensity increase as a result of that particular mitigation is really big. And what we're hearing mostly is people want to understand how to balance what to do at the right time to make a more effective air quality without killing the planet. We can't simply just cool a bunch of fresh air and call it a day. That's not going to work either. And so finding that balance, I think, is a big one that that people are talking about. I think another thing we're hearing, and this is really going to the broader indoor environmental quality, right? As we add equipment to clean the air, uh, there's a sound impact with it, and it's really increasing sound levels within these spaces, right? And so now you really start to look at the overall indoor environmental quality and what we can do to make sure we're not introducing other factors that impact the overall IEQ, right? And so, and then you can go beyond to lighting and, you know, it just really takes it a step back to the more broader play of, of how is my indoor environment as a whole and am I doing the best to ensure that I'm making the most comfortable space for my occupants, the most productive space. And so we're, we're starting to go in that direction as well. That's an awesome point. I mean, one of our pilot customers is a, is a K through 12 educational institution. Right at top of mind was the learning environment is inclusive of lighting, acoustics, not just air, of course. And so the sensors we deployed for all of our pilots include ambient light and ambient noise sensors because we can't introduce something that improves one aspect of environmental quality and destroys others. And then taking it beyond that, right, Scott? Right. So now, now you're looking at lighting, and what if we start changing the color, or the temperature of the light throughout the day, right? Aligning it with the circadian rhythm, right? And so now, now we go beyond just how do I keep the space as comfortable as possible, but now what can I do to enhance the space to make it an even more efficient, more productive, more comfortable space for students or other occupants uh, to be in? Absolutely. And I think what we're talking about is a very sort of sophisticated and holistic system that when you do this professionally can be very well optimized. But as we've seen, when it's not done that way, could have very severe consequences. As you know, in the South, if you do uncontrolled ventilation, you bring in outside air and it's very humid and you're not managing humidity, you're not only increasing energy, you've got risk of mold and other major health risks tied to increased humidity levels in these spaces. When you try and do these things yourself, you could have some real issues that you introduce into a space. And so I think these conversations appear to be becoming to light. And it sounds like beyond COVID, we're, we're starting to have these really salient conversations. Yeah, I think so. Just to just to add to that, Russia, I think the culture, at least in a lot of countries, is really around the expectation of data-based decisions. I mean, I wear a Fitbit and it tells me 
all kinds of stuff that I have to learn about, but I have all this data on how my body is reacting to things and how I'm sleeping and all this stuff. And it's more and more of an expectation, I think, that um, we optimize a situation based on data. And that's exactly what we're doing with this whole program is really understanding what's going on right now and what do I have available to fix it? It might not be perfectly optimized, but you know, you do what you can. The first step in solving the problem is understanding it. And as Scott says, the only way we can start to tackle the issues surrounding indoor environmental quality is by first gathering that all important data. And while as a society, we like to quantify just about everything from calories burned to hours in REM sleep, the same isn't necessarily true for measurements in air quality. But according to season one guests and Healthy Spaces experts, Memo Cedeno, due to the pandemic, this might be about to change. One of the reasons I think there's going to be a transformation in the use of uh, data collection inside buildings is, I think, obeys to the old adage that you cannot understand what you don't measure. And there's the need to understand what's happening in our buildings. So we have, in a way, adapted to this new uh, mode of uh, work. And it's going to be very challenging for uh, the real estate community to make sure that people feel safe back in their uh, office environments. So we need objective metrics that could inform the general public on why things are safe, how things are safe, what is being done to keep things safe. We see a next wave of this green building movement is on transparency and transparency being the new green. So the availability of data that is high quality, that assures that it's uh, uh, meaningful, I think is going to be critical to regain that confidence in our build environment. Based on what you're seeing, I think you're absolutely right in engendering sort of that consumer confidence. So in addition to saying, hey, we're open, you know, we need to be able to say we're open and it's safe for you to sort of crawl out of your house and and do some of what you used to do before. I think consumers uh, uh, in these times are extremely well informed. The availability of information is actually in sometimes overwhelming. But there are very well-trusted voices, and they have been very vocal in this time. So I think the existence of enhanced ventilation, enhanced filtration has been, I would say, mainstream right now. If you think about it, no one knew what a PCR test was. Now, you know, it's a, a kind of mainstream. And likewise, very few people knew about air changes per hour or MERV filter ratings or HEPA, right? And now I think that the public is very well acquainted with those terms and know what they mean and know what they mean for their health. So I think it's really not rocket science. It, the combination of transparency, of a goodwill, of incorporating these best practices and uh, letting people know what is being uh, done for them. It's not just about taking away that fear, we're also letting them know of all the incredible co-benefits that are associated to a better managed environment. 
Scott, Jeff, what advice do you have for our listeners and what are you doing to improve your own indoor air quality? I think I've definitely incorporated uh, some air cleaning technologies uh, into our house and then some of the sensors that Scott has mentioned. They, they also make personal or residential versions of these sensors and so I have those as well. So definitely you know, wanting to get more insights into the quality of our air. My wife thought it was a bit hokey, right? She's like, what do you do with these sensors? And uh, it's funny, the change you see, right? As soon as we got them, then it became a challenge. Uh, I need to get that number as high as possible. And so it's definitely changed some of the habits we have here at the house. I guess advice for our listeners, I think the most important piece, and this is something that we've probably talked about over and over again, is you have to know where you're starting from. And so I think an indoor air quality assessment of some sort is, is critical to success. And ultimately, at the end of the day, it's typically a layered approach. You're going to have two or three different technologies that you're using to really provide the best space that you can uh, have for your building. So I, I think the advice I, I would say is that, you know, don't skip the assessment. I think it's a critical piece and uh, definitely helps inform you to make a better decision for the longer term. Yeah, totally agree, Jeff. I mean, I've really geeked out about environmental quality and sensors and, and that kind of thing, much to the initial chagrin of my family. And just echoing what Jeff said about gathering data and just seeing what, how things that we do impact the air that we're breathing. We've got one of those sensors is in the kitchen and uh, we do a lot of cooking in our house and that's kind of a family time for us. And I'm not suggesting we're, we're changing what we cook, but we do... <laughs> We do use the ventilation hood more, I can tell you that. We're also using really advanced technology more than we did before. And the biggest one that's really advanced is we open the windows. But I never thought about that until I started measuring CO2 levels in our home. And we live in the south and uh, it's humid in the summer here. So it's not like we do this all the time, but when the weather allows, there's nothing like getting some fresh air and it improves the data like I wouldn't have believed. And so it's honestly a really simple step that we're taking. I do the same, guys. I'm. We have upgraded all the filters, and I did not think filters were a thing. I also have targeted air mitigation things all over the house where we need them. I will shamelessly plug. I have a Synexus in the house, and I also have circadian. I have different temperatures of lighting for different rooms in the house. As I learned more about indoor environmental quality, these were all things that I did as well. But I, you know, it is amazing the changes that we saw. People were getting better quality sleep around the house. I mean, to your point, Scott, we were also opening more windows. We used the vent hood more. I mean, it is amazing the changes you did see and the sensors absolutely helped with that. One last question. What do you think will change in the next five plus years as a result of, of research and technology in this space? I think we're going to see more um, demand from occupants uh, about transparency, what we talked about before, air quality. We're going to see more of that, I think. But I think the big one is we're going to see the technology get to the point where we are balancing energy use with environmental quality improvements and not always doing something to make the air better when we don't need to. It goes back to that those peaks and valleys that we see, and we don't need to bring in a ton of fresh air all the time, and we don't need to constantly be running air through filters if it doesn't need it. And so that's where the energy balance, I think, will come in. As we look at new buildings and new systems, there's going to be an expectation for technologies or you know capabilities that improve your indoor air quality. 
And so, you know, as we look at new product designs here on our end, previously products that maybe didn't have the capability of going to a MERV 13 or 14, I think it's an expectation now. It needs to be a part of that product design and the customers are going to demand it going forward. Uh, in addition to filtration, are there other technologies that can be standard options available that help improve indoor air quality without bringing the energy penalty that may come with some technologies? So many great insights there from Jeff, Scott, and our guests from season one. We can't wait to continue the discussion with all the amazing experts and leaders we have lined up for season two. You've been listening to Healthy Spaces with Train Technologies. I'm Rasha Hassanin. For more information on our conversation with Scott Wenger and Jeff Wiseman, see the show notes in your podcast app. And join us next week when we'll be speaking with Chief Medical Officer at Train Technologies, Dr. Alberto Acosta, and the CEO for the Center for Active Design, Joanna Frank, about the workplace of the future. Don't forget to follow us to hear new episodes. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.